Now, I'm going to begin a meeting with some reading from Psalm 22. Now, I think you'll recognise, as I read the first verse of Psalm 22, I think you'll recognise what our topic is going to be this evening and perhaps what scripture from the book of Matthew we're going to be looking at. So, if you want to follow along, Psalm 22 is on page 554. I'm just going to read from verse 1 down to down to verse 24, verse 1, down to verse 24. This is the psalmist speaking, speaking prophecy, no doubt, about the Messiah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from saving me, so far from my words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joints. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden from his face, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the words of the psalmist, Lord. You have listened to our cries from help. And we, when we look at this passage, Lord, we cannot help but think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who cried out to you. And Lord God, we just praise you for him. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for his life, for his testimony, for his teaching, his preaching, his healing, his miracles, and his great sacrifice, Lord, his giving of his own life that we might be saved. And we just want to praise you and worship you this evening, and praise our Lord Jesus Christ, and honour him, and remember him in everything we do this evening, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Amen. So we're going to sing our first hymn this evening. Very much, hymns this evening are very much about the Lord Jesus Christ and his, his life, his giving his life. So this first one is, Awake, awake, O Zion, and clothe yourself with strength. Shake off your dust and fix your eyes on him. This is on Jesus on the cross. For you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, and now you sit enthroned with him. We're going to read from Matthew 27, sorry, verse 27 to verse 56. This is about the, uh, the death of Lord Jesus Christ. So Matthew 27, reading from verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers, this is after the, the trial, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. 
They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Amen. We pray the Lord will add the blessing, his blessing to the reading of his word this evening. We're going to sing our second hymn now. Again, it's another uh, hymn about the Easter story, if you like, the story of his death and resurrection. To see the king of heaven fall, and that's what we see in this passage, what took him to this wretched place, what kept him on this road, his love for Adam's race, that's us, Adam's cursed race for every broken soul, no sin too slight to overlook, no crime too great to carry, all mingled in this poisoned cup, and yet he drank it all, the saviour drank it all. Let's stand and sing this together. Come to the table, just likes to return again to this passage in Matthew 27. Now if you're doing the, uh, our daily reading the Bible together of course, we're only up to chapter 19 because it is the 19th of January, chapter 19 in Matthew's Gospel, where we see several challenges to Jesus from the readers, the elders and the preachers of the law. And he ends up with this marvellous message which we'll come back to a little bit later. But for our, as it is our monthly communion meeting, we've taken a passage from Matthew's Gospel, um, which of course we won't be reading until you get to 27th of March, but we're going to look at it this evening. Um, and it's in this reading that we see this really d- dramatic events around the crucifixion and Jesus' death. It comes after the trial and it's before his resurrection. It's a very sad and downcast passage. It's quite appropriate that we sang that song just now, because it's quite a kind of dour song that reflects the kind of the sadness of the loss of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, all the hope has been kind of snuffed out. All the messages that Jesus has given the disciples, all the hope he's given the people, all the things he's said over the previous three years now seems kind of snuffed out and suppressed. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, that the disciples have followed for three years has been arrested, tried and now we've seen him beaten tortured and executed finally executed snuffed out. Where are the disciples? They fled, they've run away they've abandoned him. None of them are mentioned in this passage although we think um, at least one was possibly there but it's only the women, only the women that get a mention. What hope is there? They didn't understand they have in the drama and the fear, forgotten all the things that Jesus said before, all the things he's told them and taught them, taught them about these things that are happening now and said these things must happen before the end. But in this dark passage, in this dark day with a darkness in the sky, we do see hope and fulfilment. We see several people speaking in this passage, the soldiers, the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, Jesus himself, and of course, the centurion, last of all. Now, there are plenty of sermons that could be made about this passage. So many things happen in there, and I'm just going to pick out a few things, some of these words, some of the things that people said, just to put us in the right frame of mind as we gather around to the Lord's table. 
Um, and there's plenty of irony and sarcasm in the words that are used by some who unknowingly are touching on some of the great truths, the eternal truths and prophecies that they clearly did not understand. This is the fulfilment of everything Jesus has been teaching about. The kingdom of God has come, not through the marching of a conquering army or the declaration of a, an emperor seizing the throne, but through the precious blood of Jesus being spilt, his life being voluntarily given up, his body being given up to death. So firstly, the soldier, the soldiers mocked him in the praetorium there. They mocked him. They gathered around him and they mocked him. As we read in, in our scripture here, they stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him, verse 29, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. You can only imagine how much that must hurt. It's just pressed into your head. Then they put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. But he was the King of the Jews in the line of David, born of the line of David, right back at the beginning of Matthew. We see that lineage all read out, the lineage of, 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 of Jesus right down through the years. He is in the line of the kings. And Matthew set that out very clearly. All the way through the gospel, we hear him being declared as the king. And this great act of sacrifice is about to place him on that throne. He has the crown of glory to replace the crown of thorns. And he has a two-edged sword to replace that staff that they place in his hand. And this, in this psalm we read earlier on, Psalm 22, these teachers of the of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they should have known these scriptures. They should have had their memories reminded. It should have pricked their consciences when they read, or when they heard about these things that are happening. They should have known it was scripture being fulfilled. They could not see it, but now we can. And then secondly, the people, the people mocked him. Verse 39 in our passage. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. He is just about to destroy the temple. He is about to destroy the temple. We read in verse 51, at that moment, verse 51 of our passage, at that moment when he died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom, that's the Lord, that's God coming down to mankind coming down to earth. That's his salvation pouring down. And the reason that curtain is ripped in, apart in two, because it's no longer needed. That curtain separated the inner holy of holies from the people. And it symbolizes the end of the temple's purpose. That temple has no more purpose. It has been metaphorically destroyed by the death of Jesus and it will be physically destroyed by the Roman army just 40 years later. The temple is redundant. The Jews went on and did their sacrifices year in, year out after the death of Jesus. What do you think they said to each other about that temple? You can only imagine, what do we do? Do we stitch it up? Do we get a replacement? Do we just don't tell the people, pretend it never happened? It was redundant. The kingdom has come. It's come not as a physical building, but it's come into our hearts. If you believe in him and you're walking with him, you are walking, talking temples of the Holy Spirit. You are yourselves part of that temple. 
and you are being made perfect every day, one day when you reach the end of your life, when you're sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be one of the perfect bricks cut and shaped for that heavenly building. And this was just day one of the three. On the third day, he will rise. And in his resurrection, he sets out the path for us all to follow, the path to eternal life. And they cried out sarcastically, didn't they? You who are going to destroy this temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Well, he could have done. He could have done so if he chose to. Did he not say at his arrest in the garden that he could call down more than 12 legions of angels if he so chose? He could have saved himself, but he chose to save you and me instead. He chose the way to destruction, the way to the cross, to Golgotha, instead of saving himself. He could have destroyed the Sanhedrin and the temple. He could have called fire down on the council of elders. He could have destroyed them. But he destroyed it with love. He destroyed that temple with love. Thirdly, the teachers of the law, who also went out. They didn't want to miss this. They went out to watch. And if we read in verse 41, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, the whole, whole lot of them had gone out, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. The irony was that he was saving others, even in that moment. Not himself, but he was saving others in his very act. Not himself. They sarcastically called him the king of the Jews, the king of Israel. And really, if he had come down from the cross, would they have believed him still? Not even then, I don't think so. I don't think so. Their hearts were hardened against him. They had already seen the evidence, the miracles. The, they'd heard the scriptures. They'd seen the prophecies being fulfilled, the healings. They'd seen lots of evidence, and they still refused to believe him. They were looking for a way to get rid of him, regardless of the truth. Psalm 22 again, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. See, even way back then, the psalmist was prophesying what was to come, and they couldn't see it. These men, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, the teachers of the law, they were the true weeds that we were looking at this morning, the weeds ruining the wheat in God's field. And they will be gathered up and burned in the furnace at the end of the age in the great harvest when we see the Lord Jesus coming again on the clouds and in power, they will be gathered up and will be burnt in the harvest. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. If he wants him, they were thinking, well, this man, he's committed so much um, sacrilege. He's such a hypocrite. He's he deserves to die. God's surely not going to rescue him if he wants him. Of course God wants him. This is his son. This is part of the triune God, that, that hard-to-describe trinity, three in one. Of course he wants to save him, but he was willing to let his son go 
let him go out of love for all mankind to break that trinity, that kind of indivisible three-in-one, which I've described as being like cracking the atom. It's something that physically should not and could not be done. If only their consciousness had pricked them, they'd remembered the words of scripture they'd had for centuries. But do you ever have, have that sometimes when you're, you find yourself saying something and as the words are coming out of your mouth, you think, you, you know consciously that was a lie or, or that you, it's a promise you can't fulfill or that it's an exaggeration or it's an unfair comment or something. You just know as you're saying things that that was wrong, but they can't see it as they hurl their insults, as they pronounce sarcastically to Jesus. If only they'd seen the irony of their statements, then they might have even at that moment had a chance to be saved. And then fourthly, we have the words of Jesus himself. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is again a direct quote. Psalm 22, verse 1. It's a prophetic psalm, speaking about the Messiah and his death. And even as he suffers with the weight of all man's kind sin on his shoulders, he still quotes scripture. What a man, what a, what a, what a person, a son of God, to quote scripture, even in death. Could we do that? We know and remember that Jesus was once transfigured into his heavenly body. It was literally only a couple of days, if you're following the readings, a couple of days ago, you'd have read Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. In uh, chapter 17, we read this, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. That's an amazing description of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a contrast from there to Matthew 27 where we see him now on the cross. I believe actually when you look at the detail in Psalm 22 and also in Isaiah, some of the prophecies, I reckon there's another kind of transfiguration. It's the opposite than transfiguration of the mount. You see this negative transfiguration on the cross. Listen to these verses here. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Maybe the weight of his sin dislocated his, his shoulders. We don't know. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. That's the elders, the chief priests and so on. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. He must have been a hideous sight on the cross. Disjointed limbs, a skeletal form covered in blood and dirt. And he cries out, not his father, because his father had cut him off from the Trinity, been cut off from the Holy Spirit and from his father God. He cries out to God, like an ordinary man, God who cannot help him, and he cannot help him, he will not help him just yet. All the angels in heaven must have been weeping. Can you imagine the scenes in the kingdom of heaven? The skies turned black, 
The earth is shaking. Creation itself being transformed. This is the turning point of all creation, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, everything that happened from Adam and Eve right up to now. The turning of all creation as the new covenant is being formed in his blood. Yet, yet there is one. There is one who observes all this and could see the truth. Not a disciple, not a Pharisee or a Sadducee, not an elder or a teacher or a preacher of the law, not even a follower of Jesus, not even a Jew, a Gentile and a soldier too. Verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw, and we're talking about seeing the crucifixion, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. He was the son of God. He is the son of God, the living, raised son of God. His whole life on earth, his 33 years, had built up to this point, to this minute, and he fulfills his destiny. He finishes the race. He crosses the line. He made the sacrifice. We can't imagine what cost that was to him physically and spiritually and mentally, the endurance he needed to get himself over that finishing line. To the women who loved him and watched from a distance, and to the disciples who may and may not have been there, the Last Supper, just the night before, must have seemed like a century ago. How little they remembered his words. All those teachings, those last chapters of the, the Gospel of John. Jesus had drunk down that poisoned cup, as it was in that song there, drunk down the cup of suffering that he had spoken of. In this passage, we see Jesus offer drink twice. The first time, as they were executing wine mixed with gall, and this was said to be a narcotic, a kind of painkiller, offered to those who had been crucified to nullify the pain. But he refused it. He refused it so he could be fully conscious and aware of his suffering, so he could really feel what was going on. So he could be in his, in his right mind to recall scripture and to fulfill the prophecies, because he still had a job to do. When he was on that cross, that wasn't the end of it. He still had to do things. He had to save the other thief on the cross, as they call him. He had to hand John over to his, uh, his mother, rather, over to the care of one of the other disciples. He had things to do. And the second drink was the wine vinegar held up on a stalk of a hyssop plant when he said he was thirsty. And we know this from John's Gospel. But for us, for us, he offers this drink, this wine, the wine of grape juice that symbolises his blood. We don't drink it because it is his blood or because we're thirsty or because there's any holy properties in this simple grape juice. There's nothing that it has. We simply drink it to remember him and to remember that great sacrifice. And this bread, it's, it's not his physical body and by partaking in this bread, we, we're identifying with him in his death, in the giving up of his body for us. His life for us. It's an act of remembrance. And Jesus really embodies the words from Matthew 19, which is the passage from today's reading. 
Truly I tell you, he says, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. See, Christ made himself last for us. He's the ultimate last. He made himself last for us so that we may be first in the kingdom. So do we want to identify with Christ? When you listen to those people saying different things, or different people who said different things in this passage, which one do you want to be? Do you want to be with that soldier saying, surely he is the son of God at the end? Do you recognise that his suffering was for you? Do you accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus as the only true way to heaven? Do you repent of your sins and accept his forgiveness? Do you accept his gift of eternal life? Do you seek to follow him all the days of the rest of your life and walk in the path of Jesus? To be walking in a kind of sacrificial path, to be last like he was last. Do you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ?